We Infuse Podcast, episode number 33. Welcome to the We Infuse Podcast. My name is Dylan McCabe, and in every episode, we give you a seat at the table as we interview industry experts so that you can get the tips, tools, and roadmap you need to have a successful infusion practice. And in this episode, I'm going to interview Steph Parks and Angie Baker. They are patient access experts. You're going to get a lot out of this episode, but we're really going to focus on copay accumulators. What are copay accumulators? What does it look like for that to get worked out in a patient's life? What's a copay maximizer? What are best practices for providers to address copay accumulators? This is something that's hit on the oral front. It got moved back a little bit for infusions, but it's headed our way in the world of the infusion practice. So you're going to get a lot out of this. And before you do that, if you want to learn how we infuse streamlines your practice and takes the confusion out of infusion, you can schedule a discovery call with one of our account executives today. You will be so glad you did because having a streamlined practice is better for your business. It's also better for your patients because your your uh, nurses, your providers, and practitioners can really focus on the patient when they're not bogged down on juggling 53 different details in the air on a daily basis. All right, guys, let's jump right into this interview with Steph and Angie. All right, as I mentioned, I have special guests, Steph Parks and Angie Baker on the show today. So really excited to have them here. So Steph and Angie, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having us back. Thank you so much. And we have the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Reese Norris, co-hosting as well. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> so you guys were on a previous episode, and it was Take the Confusion Out of Infusion Billing, Episode 9. So for people listening to this, they want to go back and hear that. That was an awesome episode. But what we're going to get into today is copay accumulators. But before we do that... We have an announcement that Steph is going to make. <laughs> well, thank you again, guys, for having us on the show. Angie and I are super excited to be here. Um, I just wanted to point out that any of the opinions that are expressed today by Angie and myself are those of our own, that they're just based on our professional opinions and our experience in the industry, and they do not reflect those of any company, corporation, or entity. We're just here to share our passion about patient access. Awesome. There you go. And you guys really are, you guys are patient access experts. You guys have done a lot in this field. You've helped a lot of patients. You brought a lot of thought leadership. You posted a blog recently that's on the NICA website. And uh, it's just great what you guys are doing to equip people in the industry. And what we're addressing today is something new because there's always, this is a constantly evolving landscape as we all know, and that is copay accumulators. So for people not familiar with that, Let's just give a basic overview of what is a copay accumulator. So a copay accumulator has been present on the specialty pharmacy side and oral medications for some time, so we are pretty familiar with those. Um, A copay accumulator is an attempt by a payer or a pharmacy benefit manager to allow the copay assistance programs that are provided by the manufacturer to not go towards the patient's out-of-pocket responsibility. So basically what that means is the patient will still be responsible for their out-of-pocket, you know, their deductible, their coinsurance up to their out-of-pocket maximum. Okay, so for people listening to this, how does that apply to infusion centers? This is something that's getting rolled out. I think recently it was 
delayed, but that doesn't necessarily mean denied, right? So how does this apply to infusion centers? So there's been an announcement from a couple of um, large payers that have said that they are going to try to attempt to introduce this into the buy and bill area. So, um, yep, there was a um, announcement yesterday where it was put on hold because it was supposed to go live January the 1st of 2021. Um, it's been delayed and we don't know how long, but that's a big win anyway. Um, you know, we'll take it. Um, so they are trying to introduce it into the buy and bill space. And I know that one of the big payers has had said that um, kind of the basic outline of the scenario was going to go where the patient is infused and then the claim submitted and then basically the payer would you know research to see if there's any copay assistance for that particular product and then they would have to go back to the provider the provider will have to basically submit to the payer if the if the patient um, does utilize those copay assistance funds so that they know how to allocate that towards the patients out of pocket and so my you know the big takeaway from that i think i get and i want you to add to this is that since things are constantly changing and there's policies that are constantly moving across the landscape that you as a provider or business owner you've got to stay dialed into this because if it catches you off guard it's going to impact your practice Mm -hmm. it's going to impact your patients and so that's really the goal of this podcast is just continue to equip people with the knowledge they mean so let's share a story where this has worked out what does it look like that a, a patient is being affected by copay accumulators they're going to a practice to get treatment how share the story of how that gets played out Yeah, so I can share, um, maybe not on practice, but, you know, it all kind of is the same. Um, We saw a a very large increase in consistent um, issues from patients expressing that, you know, they have um, exhausted their copay card and they haven't met their deductible. And researching it, you know, it's pretty new even in the specialty oral side of things. And even for us and even for the um, reimbursement hub managers who are experts in um, navigating those benefits every day, um, it took them a while to really identify or know which questions to ask during that BI and finally found that it was an accumulator plan type. Um, But with, you know, we have a lot of activity We're looking at a lot of benefit investigations, like the volume is huge. And we saw probably in June, July of this year, a lot more issues coming up and patients exceeding their copay card, not meeting their benefits. So um, it was interesting because, you know, we first started hearing about accumulator plans probably two and a half, three years ago. But this is the first year that we've really seen an increase that um, has started to affect patients. Um, you know, personally anyway, that I've seen. But what we worry about is, you know, it getting worse next year. You know, that there will be more plans that, um, you know, choose to have that accumulator, you know, built into that. Um, One thing that Steph and I did the other day because... We are nerds and <laughs> like to That we things. are. <laughs> um, so we were investigating our own benefits just to see how difficult it is for us even to tell if we have an accumulator plan. Mm-hmm. And I had to dig probably, I don't know, an hour, and I still couldn't figure it out. So um, we um, determined, like, mine didn't have one, but it was super difficult. So then we're, we're like, well, we'll just go act like we're going to go – out on um, get an ACA plan, act like we're signing up for the benefit in the marketplace, right? And um, 
trying to identify those plans that have those accumulators is near impossible. It's like pulling, you know, a grain of salt out of off the table. <laughs> right. And is, and then the other thing I wanted to point out to Angie's point, whenever we were trying to check our own benefits, number one, the insurance companies were like, what's a copay accumulator? You know, and these are people that were planning to implement this in January. So I feel like there's going to be a lot of misquoted benefits. We're going to have, we're going to see a lot of challenges with that, um, which is going to be difficult for the providers who have to explain the benefits to the patient. Um, You know, when benefits are misquoted, super frustrating, both for the provider and for the patient. And then also, you know, just because a payer has, you know, said, we're going to have copay accumulators on all of our plans. I mean, there's still going to be some self-funded plans that are large employer groups that are not going to be affected by that because the employer has chosen not to go that route. So, you know, if you hear about that, just make sure you have to dig into the details. It's the fine print, it's the limitations, it's the exclusions, asking specific questions. Um, you know, how, how do copay assistance funds from the manufacturers, how are they applied? How do they affect me? So um, that was... Yeah, and I just know if, I mean, I've been doing this a little while, and it was extremely difficult. Yeah. So to I wanted to like back up and say, like, I'm a patient, for example. Uh, I my plan, my insurance plan is subject to a copay accumulator. Accumulator, if I said that correctly. <laughs> um, and so what? So I, I've gotten I've gotten manufacturer assistance. So the pharmaceutical company has enrolled me into their program. It's been exhausted now, so the, the uh, manufacturer funds have run out. What does that mean for me when I go to get my next you know, infusion or that next uh, prescription of drugs? Well, if it is adopted the same way that it's been adopted in the oral space, then that basically means once that copay, once that manufacturer's coupon or copay um, assistance program has been exhausted, that's whenever your portion starts to kick in. So if you have a $500 deductible, that's going to be applied to your next visit once that copay right. Depending um, on assistance. if you haven't you know, been in the hospital already met your deductible. Well, right. For the yeah. most part. Right. That if it, That's a, an unmet deductible right. if, if there's nothing go- right. that's gone towards that. And where where my concern is, is, you know, we have patients that are chronically ill, you know, quality of life medications that are very expensive. And, you know, the manufacturers are doing everything that they can to make these medications affordable to subsidize that cost. And then you have payers that are going to turn around and take that money. And then they're also going to squeeze every dime out of the patient too, which is frustrating because you see, um, you know, the customer, the patient is the customer of the payer, of the insurance company. And so they're really backing their patient into a financial hardship. Yeah, that's just from a manufacturer perspective, it's all about adherence. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you've got primary adherence, so you've, you've got the script, you're on the drug, but this is really going to contribute to that secondary non-adherence. I got off. Why yeah. did the patient get off? And it's going to be a, a reason that they couldn't afford the drug anymore and they've exhausted copay assistance, which is terrible. Exactly. So. Exactly. But what we're talking about, bottom line, is more money out of pocket for the patient. Right. Right. Which exactly. is crazy because they've been paying premiums right. for so long, and then you get them to a point to where it's like, oh, we're going to help you out a little bit, but maybe for the last four months out of the year or three months out of the year, you're on your own, which is just crazy. Yeah, and what's really scary <laughs> is, you know, if you have that patient in that situation and they go to the pharmacy and they say $500, and are like, well, I'm not taking it anymore. And then the person in the office doesn't know about an assistance program, mm-hmm. then they stop therapy. You know, that's where it really, really affects the patient. So who's responsible for, I mean, so much of this is about equipping people with knowledge, mm-hmm. equipping providers with knowledge, providers equipping patients with. So what, what's the key to that? How do you solve that? Because I've been in situations where I've gone to, I took my little girl to a doctor's visit a few weeks ago. 
of course, to do a COVID test. She got sent home from school because a kid in her classroom had a high fever or whatever. I'm like, okay. So we go through this whole deal where she has to get tested, right? And they say, there's two types. There's a fast one and a slow one. There's one we can do, you get the results today, and then there's one where it takes a few days. That was all the education they did. And I was like, okay, well, why would I do the slow one? And they're like, and by the way, the fast one's a lot less, you know, um, a lot less uh, invasive. Yeah. I'm like, okay. I still had to hold my five-year-old down with her crying, saying, Daddy, please no. Go through this whole ordeal. At the end of it, they the doctor gave me a note that said she still needs to stay home for uh, 14 days because she's not, like, this test isn't seen as authoritative in the school system, but the other one is. Oh, I'm like, wait a second, what? <laughs> Why didn't we just go through that? <laughs> like, I just, what, can you repeat that, please? So there's a huge, I feel like the burden should have been on the practice at that point to educate me on, hey, here's two options, but here's right. what the, here's how that gets played out. So in the, in the context with the provider for these copay accumulators, how does that work? How can the provider equip the patient? Because the patient doesn't know. Like you went through it yourself, Angie, and you right. weren't even sure. Right. And you're an expert. Right. Well, number one, that's part of the reason that we have, you know, we did the blog for um, National Infusion Center Association, and we're here. Uh, we're just trying to reach people. We're just trying to educate them. And, you know, also a good resource, and I don't know, a lot of providers may not know that there are um, a lot of access specialists, field reimbursement access specialists that work with directly with the manufacturer, and they support those drugs. Those people are experts in those drugs that they support. So reaching out to them is going to be huge. Um, they, a lot of the time, can come up with a solution, um, guide, you know, navig help navigate through those challenges um, and, and know what the options are going to be. Also, um, trending. You know, if you have a practice, make sure that whenever you're checking benefits, you might have to check them a couple of times. Utilize the hub services that go along with the manufacturers so that you can sort of compare benefits. Um, I think that it, in the beginning, whenever those things are implemented into those plans, it is going to be a lot. It's going to be huge because it's going to be a lot of legwork. You're going to have to call. And everybody knows you can call the insurance 32 times to get 32 answers. You know what I mean? Right. I think so, another thing to just know, if you're working in a practice or in an office, if your patient is expressing like a financial need, just know most of the time there are always resources available. Most of the time, patients do not have to pay so much money for these drugs every month. So reach out to your access manager, mm -hmm. your sales rep with whomever you're working with. And if you don't know who they are, reach out to your sales rep because I know you probably know who they are there. And they're a whole lot and they are great. Um, but yeah, so that's one piece of really good information for you guys working in the office. So, Steph, when you worked at Innovative Infusions, shameless plug, we used to work together. <laughs> um, <laughs> you were really good at helping patients find those solutions, those solutions that were a little bit out of the box. And so you, you were always trying to help them, put them towards foundations mm -hmm. and other, you know, uh, places to find money, essentially, to help them uh, with their, uh, to get access to these drugs. So what, what are some of those resources that... Right. Well, and to your point, Reese, you know, we um, weren't just full revenue cycle management. We were patient advocates as well. So everybody that worked at Innovative was a patient advocate. Um, so we had lots of different resources. We did utilize, I had lots of favorite um, sales reps and field reimbursement reps that, um, you know, we would call um, whatever that we would see trends, you know, something that was gone wrong and they would, we'd pull them in and they'd be like, oh, you know what, let me get back to you or whatever. And they'd come with a solution. 
this it was an error at the payer or whatever and then we were able to kind of work through it and and get those resolved but also to angie's point um you know and Reese too, uh, low income subsidy, foundations assistance. Um, you know, there's needymeds.org that has a lot of information, um, all different kinds of websites. But, but like Angie said, there's a lot, a lot of assistance out there for patients that have chronic illnesses. And um, it's really important to do that work for your patient, that legwork. Yeah. And also, you know, as you work through this next year, if you have a patient that's on an accumulator plan, say they're a commercial patient and they have a copay card or whatever, they exhaust that benefit, just know that, you know, reach out to the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. Most definitely there is a financial hardship. They can most of the time go over to the patient assistance program and get free drug through the end of the year. So, again, just reach out. Yeah, and a lot of the, there's the call centers for, you know, the the manufacturers that do a lot of benefits investigations, and they help um, with prior authorizations, or at least, you know, help navigate where that needs to go and how that needs to be submitted. Um, but also, they, a lot of the time, are equipped with some additional avenues once those funds have been exhausted. So, um, it's always worth a call um, out to the manufacturer and whomever, you know, the their call center or whatever, it's always worth a call there um, for a patient. And then, you know, we used to keep um, we used to keep up with what, you know, manufacturers had what plans. There's some some uh, manufacturers that have programs that do support governmentally insured patients, and then there's some that do not. So it's important to note that so that you know um, you know which avenue to go. Because I mean, it's going to be sort of widespread with if there's big payers that that have this happen. So um, you know you want to make sure that you are prepared for any of those situations. Yeah, and I think for providers listening to this may think, oh, that's one other thing I've got to keep up with. How do I stay on top of all this? But you guys have listed a few options where you're, you're tapping into the resources of other experts to get them to do some educating. But also just a big thing that, that we talk a lot about at We Infuse in consulting is having processes that are well-documented, illustrated, and followed by all. So you've got a process-driven practice. And there's ways providers can, can find a way to list some of these things that you guys have mentioned here, whether it's copay cards, monthly copay costs, education, um, websites like you listed, and just have that as like a standard procedure when patients come to the office, say, hey, here's something that might be coming up. Here's some things to look into to educate yourself as well. Yeah, I think a big thing is, especially after January 1, ask that key question whenever you're doing a benefit investigation. Is there a copay plan accumulator included in this benefit? for this and, and then yeah. and also how are manufacturers assistance funds applied to the patients out of pocket do they go towards the patient's deductible coinsurance or or out of pocket those are going to be huge questions and get ready because there's going to be some um, reps at the insurance companies that haven't been trained or educated and they are unaware and there's going to be some misquoting going on and again frustrating but you know if you utilize those manufacturers hubs to cross reference your benefits investigation at least at the beginning you know whenever this comes out um, it might be beneficial just so that you can have a double check you know another set of eyes. Well, and this just reiterates, providers have to get involved in the National Infusion Center Association because they are pushing back and advocating on behalf of the patient uh, to the health plans. And I think they were a big contributor in, in you know, communicating to United Healthcare, and which is why United Healthcare delayed that decision. It hasn't been taken off the table, but at least it's been delayed, uh, that patients are able to, you know, not have to be subject to a copay accumulator on the buy a bill side yet. Right. Um, and so let's just keep advocating on behalf of those patients at the at NICA. 
Yeah. That's a great point. And yeah. and I agree with you 100%. The National Infusion Center Association is a huge resource. Um, and a- additionally, um, just making sure that, like, like Reese's point, just just stay involved. Um, make sure that you um, are aware of the changes that are coming down. Um, the delay is definitely a win. We'll take it. So <laughs> we're hoping for for um, to reach a large audience just so that we can educate on these types of things. So. So let me ask you this. You mentioned on the blog, and everybody needs to. We, we can put the post of the blog in the show notes of this podcast because all this gets covered in the blog as well. But we've talked about copay accumulators. You also mentioned in the blog copay maximizers. So what's the difference? Yeah, it is pretty confusing, right? Because um, they're both pretty new. Um, so copay maximizer is kind of, it's more of a beneficial to the patient. So there's still an accumulator plan involved. But whenever they run that copay card and say that normal copay is $50, with a maximizer, they're going to add another $50 that the patient will pay out of pocket. And that fifty dollars that they're paying out of pocket will go towards their deductible and out of pocket and, and out of pocket. So what they're paying at the pharmacy. So they're not having as much as a huge, you know, financial burden each month. But then, you know, they are starting to de- are starting to meet their deductible a little bit at a time. So it's a little bit confusing, but it is a benefit to the patient. They're not having to pay in an astronomical copay. They're just adding, you know, a little bit at a time. Not as much shock value. Yeah, yeah not shock value for sure. <laughs> Shipping away at that out of pocket. Yeah. <laughs> insurance, it's companies, insurance companies are just making it so easy for everybody. Right. Um, well, let me ask you this. How does this correlate with step therapy? Because we have step therapy issues that are in place now. So yeah. how, how does all this tie together? Well, I, w- I wouldn't say. I think they're just both major hurdles for patients mm-hmm. um, and, you know, things put in place by these payers. But I will say that, you know, when we were here two years ago, we had five states that had passed legislation and we've had a lot of great success. We're now up to 25. So that's a huge win for the patients for sure. So 25 states prohibit step therapy. Correct. Wow. Well, and um, to Angie's point too, those are access barriers, both of them. The copay accumulator is an access barrier on the financial side and the step therapy is an access barrier um, because accessing the medication you know the payer has made it so difficult in some situations with step therapy and then there's um you know we'll have to we have to file letters of medical necessity or formulary exceptions and um, things of that nature and then once the provider is able to get that approval after all that administrative work then we get to the point where the patient can't even afford the drug after the manufacturer has done everything that they can to subsidize the cost so it really is that the united it is really um, the insurance companies that are, you know, really interfering with patient treatment. Yeah. No, it's crazy. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter what field it is, wh- whether it's insurance for your home or insurance for your health care. I mean, it's just, it's just endless hurdles and hoops and little nuanced details that nobody talks about until it's too late uh, for the patient. But let, let me ask you this. If you guys were... If I had an infusion practice and you wanted to come in and say, Dylan, look, we want to make this simple for you. Here's three steps to follow with your patients to make sure nobody's surprised by the outcome of this stuff. If it comes into the infusion center, here's here's a few things you need to make sure you do every single time. Like how, how can people easily fit this into their process? Um, I think it's just making sure you ask those questions during the benefit investigation, asking if there's a pay accumulator um, in that plan type. Um, and then, you know, during that benefit investigation, you'll know if there's step therapy involved, if they have to try and fill other medications first. Um, but also know 
if they do have step therapy involved, that they do not have to actually do um, those first try and fails. You can appeal it. You can appeal those denials um, and work towards, and a lot of uh, manufacturers, they'll have free drug programs and help work you through those appeals processes and eventually um, get onto therapy. Um, so I think my biggest thing is just ask the right questions, be super detailed, um, and then just don't take no for an answer. If, mm-hmm. if your doctor wants your patient on a particular drug, most of the time you can get it. You just have to fight for it. It's not. It's definitely not easy. Right. Um, but and, yeah. and going through that process, I know we talked about that the last time. It's so important, um, you know, to support the appeal process. That is how we see changes in payer landscapes. Um, and then also knowing your what manufacturers have what funds available, just in case, you know, you ha- you do have a patient that is going to have a copay accumulator, you know what your options are. And you can educate the patient. Listen, you might see this, you know, in month six, um, but this is how we're going to, you know, kind of work around that. Um, just because you know what other options are available. And if you have a patient that's been on a therapy for a while and their insurance changes and they come back and you do another BI and they have, you know, you hear therapy and this one's not approved, just fight back because you do not want to switch that patient's therapy. Continuity fight of care. Through it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just can't help, I got to make a plug here for We Infuse software just because if people are not using it, The whole purpose of the software is to streamline and simplify the process. It's a very complicated process, but there are are steps you have to take inside the system when you're doing that BI and carrying out the whole insurance workflow with the patient to make sure you don't forget to ask one of those questions. You don't forget to check one of those boxes and the system's designed to make sure you get that stuff covered before you move on to the next major step. So for those of you listening, you definitely owe it to yourselves to go to weinfuse.com and just schedule at least a discovery call. You're not, obligated, you're not obligated to buy anything during the call, but you owe it to yourself to at least get educated on how the process can be dramatically simplified. So I think um, at this point, I mean, we could, we could go really into the weeds with all this stuff, but I really think everybody, a simple call to action is to read the blog. We'll post it in the show notes. But what's one big parting piece of advice you have for listeners who are like, okay, I just got inundated with all this stuff about copay accumulators. What's one key takeaway from all this? Well, for me, um, you know, providers should know that there's support out there. Um, And like I said before, there's a lot of manufacturers have a person that specializes in those medications and can help educate you on how to work around those things, how to, you know, what's available for your patients and stuff. So utilize those resources, reach out to those manufacturers. See, I mean, again, Angie said earlier, talk to your sales reps. Your, your sales rep will know who their, you know, counterpart is on the reimbursement and access side. Just know that those people are super passionate about getting your patient on drugs expeditiously. So use those resources. Yes, most definitely. These pharmaceutical manufacturers they want patients on their medications um so just know that you know insurance companies also have you know steps in place to say no the first time and they're always probably going to say no the first time everything needs a prior auth um just you know fight through it don't take no for an answer do the work be be passionate and if you have, if you get a no or you get a denial and you need assistance, reach out to your access managers because we're some of the most passionate people 
in the field and we want to ensure that patients get access so yeah if you get a no and you need help just reach out to your you know your drug manufacturer's access person right and just to support um you know those people those field reimbursement access specialists they help support the prescribing decision so if once the prescribing decision has been made then your field reimbursement person um, for that that works along with the, that medication is there to help push and um, make sure that the that is supported. So to get that medication for that patient and take the lift and the burden off of yeah. off of the staff at the office. All right, for those of you listening, you've heard from the experts. There's resources out there, and don't take no for an answer. Well, uh, Steph and Angie, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank we you sure for appreciate it. Us. Thank you. So good to be here. Thank you all. It was awesome. Loved it. All right. Lots of value there from Steph and Angie. And I love what they said about be passionate and focused and don't say no or don't take no for an answer when it comes to pushing, really pushing forward for being an advocate for your patients. As always, I hope you got a lot out of that. If you did, please take a minute to rate and review on iTunes. It helps us get the word out. And again, like I said at the beginning, if you haven't done so, you really owe it to yourself to schedule a discovery call, learn about the WeInfuse software platform. It is unlike anything else available for owners and operators in infusion practices. And you just owe it to yourself to to get the best tools possible to have a great practice in a healthy business. Okay, guys, this is Dylan McCabe of the WeInfuse podcast, and I will catch you in the next episode.